Welcome back, everybody, to Bell the Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and joining us now, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B Bobby Blaze. And I'm talking to you today from Johnny Broromi's Fish Company in Tampa, Florida, 906 South 22nd Street in Tampa, open all day Sunday, or as this podcast dropped on Tuesday morning. Thank you for joining, Professor. <laughs> <laughs> I saw an old ad man for a, a program in the 70s. And it had this fish company as one of the sponsors of the show. I thought that was pretty cool, man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, double B, man. I'm still loving that gimmick, man. I'm going to ride that one out. Oh, yeah. And, anytime and double A gives you that kind of praise, you know. I was going to say, until we get a cease and desist, we're staying on that one. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely, man. How you doing today? I am doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing good, man. I think it's been chilly here, but I think spring's just around the corner and, uh, I got that second shot. I'm still alive. I'll say that. And, um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this one all week, to be honest with you. Yeah, this this should be a fun one. Um, This week we're going to do our own inaugural Hall of Fame class. Yes. That's, uh, I think I came to us. One of our fans also gave us some suggestions on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't we do a Hall of Fame? And with that said, I also had a, um, on my Twitter, um, he sent a question in and I always try to answer him. If, if I see him online, um, it asked me about, yeah, it's Chris morale, but I think he, uh, he's Rick James, little brother. I can dig that man. So shout out to him. But his question was, what are some of the things you experienced as a writer that you didn't experience as a wrestler traveling the world and being on TV, uh, poverty, <clears throat> No, uh, um, you think you're going to sell a lot of books or make a lot of money, but once you're in either one of those sports, uh, or sport rather, and writer, it just takes uh, years of training to become a wrestler to, to, from when I broke in and um, uh, learning the craft, you know, and then hoping someone picks you up a contract, et cetera. The same thing, I'm self-published, uh, but I learned a whole lot during this process of, of publishing the books, and that is, um, you know, it's hard to get picked up by a major publisher so that would be uh definitely something i experienced as a writer but also i know what my um what i'm writing for right now at this point you know my niche audience uh you know i hope to continue to get better through practice and things like that um i don't have a timeline set on how long it's going to take me to do that but i'm going to try to keep on writing so i hope that answers your question uh chris i think it's a pretty good question um i don't know how well i thought it out because i've I really thought about it since i got it the other day and thought what well, only difference is really um you just got to pay your dues in both. Um, and the more you write, you know, the more you read, hopefully the better you get with that. And the same thing, the wrestling, the more you train, the more you, you know, have matches and get experience, you know, hopefully the better you get with that as well. So that that's my, my answer. And thanks for writing in. And if you'd like to, anyone else out there in the Twitter world, get a hold of me at BobbyBlaze744, get a hold of the professor at the Geek Cast. Or get a hold of us on our joint account on Twitter at Bell to Bell Blaze. There's also a Bell to Bell Blaze on um, the Facebook app as well, um, but you won't find me there currently. So anyway, yeah. hope you answered that okay, Professor. Uh, you know what? I actually have a follow-on question for that. Okay, good. Uh, so I think, now you know, when I had the show Geekish Cast, I dealt a lot with uh, people who were writers, comic book creators, game creators, um, you know, TV, you know, guys trying to get their YouTube show onto a TV, uh, deal, whatever, how much of doing something creative, either one wrestling or writing, 
how much of that job is actually self-promotion and how much is the, actually the craft of what you're doing? Oh, on the books. Now I learned this as an author. That's that it's 1% of, of getting the book out there. It's 99% marketing. You got to keep marketing, mm-hmm. marketing, marketing. I think, you know, could be off a little bit on those numbers, but it's a high percent, 95 to, to 5%. You know, the, the, the rest in comparison is, um, I think as we, as we both know, <clears throat> and I think a lot of our fans do, your talent can go a long way, but hell, if no one's recognizing you or not putting you on that TV, or if they even put you on TV and you have talent and not using you a proper way, you know, there's so many things that, you know, uh, it, 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 it six one way, half a dozen another um, is what I think, because you could be working some territory or some independent show, but if no one's seeing you, uh, you know, you, you just, you're just going to keep on working for the hot dogs and the soda pop or whatever. Then you get the TV chance for, you know, whatever's going on regional or nowadays, you know, national and international. Um, if you're not being used properly, you're just like, okay, um, so many of these guys would so be so lucky to get get to the big show up to the you know WWE um, on NXT or or you know eventually to the main roster what have you. Um, it just takes years, man. But someone has to notice you and uh, take an interest in you. And um, uh, to the training center, the same thing. They bring people through there now, former athletes from other sports. Um, so it's it's a tough business either way. And obviously the same thing with the writing. Um, you know. Uh, just, I think if you get your book in the right hands, uh, you know, someone gives you a, a good review. Um, that's helped me in the past. If I get on a podcast um, and they say they've got good numbers um, and I'm doing a podcast, I you know, I can tell from, oh, yeah, I got a couple book sales out of that particular podcast, you know, uh, something like that, that, that they got a good following. Um, after our podcast, you know, every every week I, I check and, you know, if I can see if a, a book's been sold or not, because we're still marketing at that point, mm-hmm. um, which we're going to be talking about here in just a minute. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've kind of went around it there. It's, it's kind of the kind of the same. It's marketing. I mean, you know, who's going to hear about you if, if you don't get it out there? You know, you could bring the biggest star to the Ashland National Guard Armory or uh, – to wherever, and if you don't put any posters out or uh, radio media, uh, uh, it's now social media and, and television, uh, you know, you can have an empty parking lot in an empty yeah. arena and a hey, couple you, guys sitting around going, what what, what, what can we do wrong because we lost a shitload of money on this show? Yeah, I <laughs> you mean, know? you got to get out and hand out those flyers still. I mean, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, All anyway. Right. Yeah, so that was, that was the question. question. Yeah, question. that was the yes, question sir. I had for that. Um, I'm always amazed by how much, well, look at a guy like Zicky Dice. You know, he was he was getting ready to do stuff, he's a TV champ, and then all of a sudden shit happens. Well, almost immediately, he starts a Twitch channel and, you know, just starts promoting every day. Mm-hmm. Um now he was, he, you know, he was a musician before he got into right. wrestling, though. So I think he might be bringing some of that fucking punk rock sensibility in, and that's where he yeah. gets it from. Yeah, yeah, he's very creative, you know. Yeah. Like, to him, I, I won't say it comes easy, but because I know uh, for a fact he he works hard at what he done. Because prior to one of those NWA tapings, he got a little fender bender, I think, and it was he had to make still make it to the show, you know, and get to do the filming and stuff, recording. And he was just talking about being on the road as a magician and musician and stuff. So uh, he's he's probably got that creative juice, but he also he understands the marketing of it a little bit, you know. Uh, he he has to be out there still just because he's not on NWA tomorrow. You know, he's going to be, like you said, Twitch town or what have you. He's putting, he's putting out content every day. Yeah. So that's yeah. pretty amazing. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Bobby. So let's, um, let's kind of get back onto the planned content here yeah. of our show. How did you feel about our Kurt Henning episode last week? Man, I thought it was solid. I really enjoyed it. I thought we had obviously a perfect subject matter to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought we brought it off pretty good, man. I like good feedback. Yeah, I thought so as well. Um, you know, I posted that to some other people's Facebook groups with a quote from Hulk Hogan where he was talking about if you drew Kurt Henning as an opponent, you can't outwork him, you can't outwrestle him, you can't outshow him, so you're just kind of stuck, you know. You, you're <laughs> not going to be better than him. What I thought was be- was was interesting were all the people in the Facebook groups who were like pissed that Hulk Hogan had a quote like that. Like, then why didn't you give him a title shot? <laughs> and of course, the reason Bobby, why, why didn't Kurt Henning get a title shot if Kurt, if Hulk Hogan found that felt that way? Well, if he felt that way, he already knows he's not going to outwork him. <laughs> yeah. Outshine him. And he's the biggest star. You know, you can't come up here and muck up my damn, you know, I can't have you up here with me, brother. You know, you can yeah. outshine me. You got bump me. You can outwork me. Um, built damn near perfect, you know, uh, uh, compared to Hogan. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, probably just another good reason I don't I don't linger around Facebook much anymore <laughs> uh, when I see something like that because you kind of answered your own question out there, people. You know, when yeah. you read the quote and who it's coming from, well, you already can see like, but but one thing is I was smart enough not to book myself against him when I was the WWF champion, <laughs> and that's pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good, though. Yeah, I thought that was good. Um, I enjoyed the episode. I forgot or I forget how much I liked Kurt Henning and how much I respect his body of work. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and this just kind of brought it up. And, you know, I just I, I listened to it twice myself just to kind of like soak back into it. You know, we never talked about him bumping. In that episode, when we probably yeah, you know what I thought about that after we got off the air. Um, I, I thought I said he was one of the greatest bumpers ever, but it, I must not have. I had it written down, um, and and for sure I loved the way he would take bumps. Um, and I may had or I, I thought I had tried to. I'm not trying to cover my tracks. Um, when you was talking about how he could uh, take someone and, and, and bring them up a level, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I was trying to mention in there about how, you know, if you just gave him a kick to the back of the leg and he'd do that full flip or, uh, you know, just uh, uh, the way he'd sell, you know, a simple headbutt, uh, you know, he'd take a back bump and then flip all the way up and away, you know, selling all the way away from the person and uh, uh, clothesline, he'd just do a damn, you know, helicopter spin and, mm-hmm. and flop everybody, but land perfect, you know? Um, yeah. But his whole body, it looks like he's going everywhere, but he's in complete control the whole time of those bumps. He, I, I don't know that he had any bad bumps. Um, I'm sure he did, but, but as far as looking at his, his work, uh, you know, he, he could do through the ropes, over the ropes. He, he done the, uh, upside down the turnbuckles. I mean, he could do every bump, man. And, yeah. and he done him, you know, like I said, damn near perfect. Not to keep using that, but that's the, that's the thing. He was a hell of a bumper. Yeah, he was hell great. And you know, I think he did a little bit in that section talk about him him selling and stuff. I just, I we I feel like we probably should have at least done like a separate side yeah. just to say, hey, let's talk about him selling. I agree and with you. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I, and I thought I did, but I but I obviously didn't because I, I would just put it in that little bumper part there no pun intended about you know him being able to work with someone you know not up to his level or what have you so right right and then just for anybody who like pointed it out or tried to point it out to me yes i realize he died of, of an overdose 
lots of people do, and it doesn't take away from their talent or their time in life. So um, that's that's just how that is. Um, let's move on now, Bobby. This is where I get out my tinfoil hat, okay? Yep. Um, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat, get out my little corkboard map here. <laughs> so yesterday I sent you a tweet from David Marquez, just kind of pointed it out to you. Yes, sir. That, that Nick Aldis had blocked David Marquez uh, from his Twitter from his uh, Twitter page. Now, David Marquez has still been throwing out little barbs here and there aimed directly at the NWA, but today he sends out one with a picture of Adam Pierce that says, now that's a real world champion. And uh, Sparks is the one who pointed that one out to me. Yeah. Um, okay, so a couple weeks back, I said, I, I, I think I smell a feud coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely think I smell a feud coming up now. Yeah, there's something going on there, man. There really is. And uh, as we mentioned off the air, you know, uh, Scrap Daddy, he's still with WWE, correct? Yeah, as far as I know, yeah. As far as we know, yeah. And so uh, then you got uh, Nick, NWA, and then you got this um, uh, Marquez with the UWN. And there's something there's something definitely going on there, man. I think it's – I didn't put it on that uh, – I put a like by it because you sent it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did like it because you said I, I smell – I see a problem or I, I foresee a problem or something. Um, I still think it's a work. And, I, you know, I have to want to put that on Twitter because then – No, no, you yeah. know. But I do. I think it's, there's something – and I think it's going to be good. That's the thing. And that's how you work the people. You you get it. You make it good. And guess what? If something doesn't happen, um, call me a mark. I I don't care because right now, to me, I'm like, I'm I'm wanting something to develop from this. So let's keep our eyes and ears open on that. Yeah, I think think it's great. I, I like how a lot of these wrestlers who aren't using it to break kayfabe. Okay, first off, let me say, I fucking hate that. If you're feuding with somebody, don't put a picture of you guys at the arcade together on Twitter. That's exactly what I was getting ready to say. Thank you. Um, But I like stuff like this, where people are starting to use Twitter as kind of, I don't know, in place of the old magazines, maybe, or something, but it's something. Something, something, yeah. Yeah, it moves the narrative forward. It allows you, I and mean, you don't have to spend any money to do it. It, it lets you move things forward and, and develop your character for free. Mm-hmm. And you just got to stay on top of your shit. I like that. I think that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you if you do it that way, it's, uh, that's great. You know, uh, the the feud, uh, I don't even care if you're best friends, but when you're on social media and this and that, and you, you're out there, you, you do your match. And after the matches, you're not hugging each other. You're not out in a crowd together. You know, just go your fucking separate ways and until your next match, you know. But, yeah. Um, uh, putting that, like you said, putting, oh, we're down at the arcade together. Um, or, you know, that's that's bullshit, man. Um, I don't know. I like that old school mentality, though. And I think, I think right now they're really, if they are doing something, if Marquez is trying to do something, I think Audis is in on it. I, I don't know how Strap Daddy comes in on it, to be honest with you. Uh, other than he was an NWA champion. I know that part. I'm just yeah. saying. Uh, but where he's at, you know, maybe he's allowed to work something outside of there. Uh, well, you know what? I think a big part of... i see something happen, though. Yeah, a big part of that, I think, was back before... Um, oh, Smash, uh, Smashing Pumpkins guy bought the mm-hmm. NWA. Mm-hmm. Um, NWA Hollywood was getting the lion's share of the matches and things. 
Yeah. And that was yeah, Marquez. Turn me yeah. Into that. Yeah. And that was Marquez before the NWA name got pulled from him before he created the United Wrestling Network. So I'll bet you what it is, is because Adam Pierce worked a lot with David Marquez while he was NWA champion. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's quite a quite a dig at um, Aldis there. This it, is an NWA champion, but I think it's an appropriate person to put that with that, like you said, because he worked there. So yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe they're working us, and something good will come out. Hey, of you know what? You. Maybe maybe they're working us. Maybe fucking Marquez is actually pissed. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So Bobby, not only do you host a podcast and train wrestlers, and are a former wrestler, you're also an author, as we heard earlier. How do people get your book? Well, it's quite easy, as you have set up a direct link to them, an easy cutaway, if you will. Uh, my first book is called Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boostful Travel. And if you'll go to tinyurl.com slash book one it'll take you right to where you can purchase the book from on Amazon. And that's a really quick way to do it. On the second book, it's called I Kicked Out on Two, The Education of a Wrestler. Once again, just go to tinyurl.com slash Blaze Book 2, and again, it'll take you right to the Amazon site, and you can order the book from there. If you do it that way, the show gets a little bit of a kickback, um, and we appreciate it uh, very much. Um, there's a couple little ebooks on there. If you're interested, they're all like $2.99 or the Christmas Story one, a little um, erotic romance one, and then there's a solo story of Yard Time that's also contained inside of uh, I Kicked Out on Two, but it's sold as a solo story because it's a pretty good story about doing a show inside of a federal prison. Um, we almost outdrew Muhammad Ali, believe it or not. Wow. That story is a true fact. Uh, we did it at a federal prison. We had five matches. Ali had come through there in March, and out of about 1,200 inmates, uh, about 800 was eligible to come to the show, and uh, they drew about 668, something like that, uh, out on the yard. Muhammad Ali could still do the shuffle then. They had the newscasters there, and it was a big deal. Um, those inmates, man, that's the thing. Ali... Uh, transcends all races and religions and creeds, you know? So he drew a big crowd out there. Well, October of that same year, I brought in professional wrestling, and that transcends all races. The, they separate, segregated themselves. We had blacks in one section, whites in another, you know, uh, uh, Mexicans in another section, then the, just the whoever's in another section all around the ring. And I've, again, about 1,200 inmates, about 800 eligible to make it up to the outside to the, to the yard, and it's called Yard Time uh, for a reason. And we drew about 661. So about six or seven people differential there. And believe me, in the federal prison system, those numbers are pretty damn accurate where someone's at at all times. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a captive audience, and we had a good, good match. I won't give the finish away because it was a shoot uh, how it happened. If it hadn't happened any earlier in the match, uh, we would have been screwed uh, because we we only, we'd only had one ring in there and some things took place that was, uh, it was just really cool, man. The only thing I guess the inmates were pissed off about, they wanted the women wrestlers in there. Well. We couldn't take any chances <laughs> on bringing a woman wrestler into a federal penitentiary, man. But uh, we had anyway. It's called yard time. Again, just go to uh, that's the thing was two ninety nine to download or again it's available inside of a. Uh, uh, the Educational Wrestler. I kicked on to the Educational Wrestler. Tinyurl.com slash Blaze Book 2 if you're interested in that story. Anyway, fun fun stuff, man. I wanted to get that Ali in there. And also the wrestling part, that um, the transcendence of, uh, you know, um, for that two hours, it's kind of like that Shawshank Redemption movie. You know, it's that deal there. For that the time those guys was up on that roof, 
put that tar down and all I got was a couple beers out of it and just a hard day's work and sucking a couple of suds back, they felt like humans again. Well, when I brought that professional wrestling show in out there, for that couple hours, those guys weren't in prison. They were in Tampa at the Houndsley Auditorium. They were in Ashland at the National Guard Armory. They were in Baltimore. They were wherever they was from, sitting by another convicted felon, and they were at a wrestling match. They, they, they weren't, they were human again. You know, it made them feel good. And I got a lot of positive feedback uh, on that uh, show, by the way. So, yeah, it made them feel human again, man. And uh, no one got in fights out on the yard either. Like I said, everyone kind of segregated themselves. But uh, each group was enjoying the matches, you know, very much, very much. Oh, that's good. I mean, that's that's yeah. kind of wild. And, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't exactly think the self-segregating in prison is a negative. Uh, because no, if, you, no. if you don't, you get might get shanked. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Absolutely. No, they did it themselves. Um, and, you know, we had one section that had some Asians, some Mexicans, some whites, uh, some blacks, or just some, you know, just some people that just didn't fit into a particular group that, that were loners or different type of inmates, you know, um, uh, some of them didn't want to be fucked with. A lot mm-hmm. of them didn't, you know, but, but a lot of them have friends too in, in other cliques, but they knew where to sit at, you know, once you got there on the yard. Um, but anyway, yard time in the big house. Yeah. So, so. check that out if you yeah. get a chance. Yeah. All right. right. So Bobby, why are we, why are we here today? What are we doing this well, episode? Oh man, this is the bell to bell, 100% legit and official hall of fame. Um, I guess the only way to make it a little bit longer is the bell to bell, 100% legitimate and official <laughs> Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame that we're starting here. Uh, we'll be visiting this again if uh, one of your favorites does not make it onto one of our lists. But we've got 10 people, 10 names. Uh, categories for the Hall of Fame, I'll let the professor explain that to you, how the categories are going to work and how we arrived at these particular people to enter our first class of the Bell to Bell, 100% legit and official Hall of Fame. Yes. So um, I think one of our goals was to not repeat ourselves very often here. So we were trying to think outside of our normal groupings as much as we could because this is going to be our first class. So this is going to be like, mm-hmm. this is, these are going to be our, our big opening, our big names right out the bat, you know. So we have five wrestlers that are just in here as wrestlers. We're going to have one heel who's in here for his skills and ability as a heel. We're going to have a face who's in here for mainly his abilities as a face wrestler. We're going to have two teams we put in and one manager. That's going to give us a total of 10 entries in our inaugural edition. 100% legitimate and official Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze Hall of Fame. Absolutely. You explained that very well. So there's going to be a couple more names than 10, but it's going to be 10 legit um, in here when you count them teams, correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. All right. All right. You want to start us off? Uh, yeah. Number one here, or this is, we're going to open with a, a wrestler, and I think this one's very important. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to go with Lou Fez. Yes. I think that's an excellent choice. You know, just a few episodes back when I guess it's been about six months back as time does 
fly seemed like um, mm-hmm. but we done a special on you know pre 19 pre NWA before 1948 and then we done a special on um, the NWA in, in 1948 forming and then also how Thez brought all that together all those titles and sanctioned them uh, to get them sanctified together and stuff mm-hmm. uh, and man you know just a great ambassador for the sport um, uh, especially during those years that he had the belt um all the world travel and also being legitimately a wrestler, you know, being able to, to stretch you and hook you and, 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 you know, shooter and hooker basically, yeah. um, to, to that title, you know, just meant so much. And, um, and I think Luthez, and I think you'll see once we get through all of our, our, our five wrestlers, uh, and you'll follow the format here. I think, um, I think it's undeniably, um, uh, wrong if we don't have Luthez mentioned as, our first wrestler into our first official Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. Injustice, yeah. I think so. Um, again, like you were saying, he unified several world titles into the NWA. The yeah, national... I think I said sanctified. You know what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> Justify, I knew, brother. Yeah, I knew exactly what you meant. <laughs> yeah. um, and one of the things was they sent Luthez to do that. Well, first off, because the first guy got injured, but, you know, that's, yeah, that's not really yeah. important. The reason you send the guy like Luthez to do that is so the guy in – Missouri, who's holding the MWA title, doesn't think he can get one over by beating Thez because right. there's no beating Lou Thez. Yeah, cuts down on the uh, possibility of double crosses. Exactly. Uh, tremendously when you have someone like Lou Thez in that, in that position. Uh, pretty much knowing that, you know, if he's not going to do the job, he's going to do the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so that's yeah. um, that's one of those things. Like I was talking to a kid at the grocery, or not the grocery store, but at the liquor store by my place yesterday. And he's asking what we're going to talk about this week. And I said, well, we're doing a Hall of Fame. I go, um, I looked at him. I said, just out of curiosity, do you, do you know who Luthez is? And he's like, nope. And I'm like, okay. So that's, yeah. yeah. That's why we got to do this. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things about our podcast. We mentioned it several times. Uh, and we're going to have some new names face, uh, popping up here today on our uh, on our podcast that we haven't talked a whole lot about. Some we have, but um, the uh, we keep these names alive, man. You know, we, we keep the tradition alive and keep these guys' memories alive, and we keep professional wrestling alive each and every week here on the Belt to Belt Bobby Blaze podcast. That's the way I look at it, man. Yeah, that's, um, that's you know, I th- we are both fans of the history of pro wrestling itself, but also the history of pro wrestling, mm-hmm. um, you know, so as a sport and as a topic. And yeah. yeah, that's what I that that's what I like that we've kind of turned this into. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's go on to heels because this is going to be a big favorite of mine, Bobby. You want to do the introduction here? Yes. Um, Jake the Snake Roberts. He's our first official heel into the Hall of Fame. Uh, man, I think the only time we've mentioned we've mentioned him a few times, but the only time I know for sure we've talked about him in great detail was when we did our top ten scariest gimmicks. And we got him in there, and obviously in the top 10, I don't know what position he finished in. But, uh, man, I think Jake Roberts deserves this spot. We had about three or four. I did, uh, three, we had three, then you had another. We had four names mm-hmm. total that we chose from. Um, and we were not going to mention the others because they, de- they definitely will get in this Hall of Fame eventually as we do this. But uh, Jake Roberts was going to be our initial heel for psychology, uh, the the. the the longevity, he had a pretty long career, man. Yeah. Um, hell, he's still doing stuff, I, I guess, be, be managing and a little bit behind the scenes with the AEW. Yep. But uh, as far as longevity, uh, when he was in, he, you know, did Mid-South and, and uh, Georgia and uh, Florida. And then, of course, you know, big run up there at New York, man, on, you know, Saturday nights and, 
and all the, you know, manias he did three with Alice Cooper, one of our favorites, and come yep. out with the snakes, you know. I mean, yeah, uh, Jake Roberts, man, that's one we don't talk about enough on our podcast probably, but he's he's our initial heel Hall of Famer. What oh, else yeah. you want to add to it? Go ahead. Uh, well, Jake Roberts, um, I got to put him, not just like you mentioned his psychology, but his performance, his mm. voice, his delivery. He, I mean, he he opened one of his snake pit shows where he was quoting a Prince song and made it pants shittingly scary. <laughs> you know, just his delivery and his way to yeah. his way he phrased things and dude, he when he looked you in the eye through the camera, you were a little bit like fuck, dude, look away, you're you're freaking yeah. me out, just stop. Yeah. yeah, he just had a way about him that was scary, and the DDT man. Aha, uh-huh, yeah. You know, I mean. <clears throat> That was we've talked about that before, actually. Yeah. That was and, like the perfect heel finisher. Yeah. You know, it was like a sniper shot that came out of nowhere. He just <laughs> you know, short arm clothesline you and you're done. There's no yeah. getting out of that. I like this. that setup. That short arm clothesline was a good setup for that too. Yeah, it was a great one. And the thing about that is 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 I as I was taught and always be able to do something you could do to any one of any size and both of those moves he could do to anyone any size the short arm clothesline right into the ddt and uh you know i was over in australia with jake the snake roberts for oh, over 20 days or so on a tour bus man and and in the air as well and uh when when i got i saw him in la um when i got to la and for some reason he missed that flight <laughs> hmm. i don't know it ain't my business man yeah. so i went on to sydney or uh, honolulu rather rather and then um, uh, went on to Sydney, and I think Jake showed up the next day or two uh, prior to the, to the tour starting. But apparently he had come in from uh, Puerto Rico, and the snake had died between Puerto Rico and L.A. Oh, God. So when he got to Australia, he had no snake. <laughs> so um, anyway, the the uh, promoter, uh, they was a big, big time promoter. One was a rock, rock concert promoter. And the other one was a travel agent that that's where we got to stay at the Ritz Carlton and the Hilton's and just first class all the way, man. Uh, but they found a person, of course, in Australia, they found someone that had snakes as, as pets and, and, um, used them, you know, in, in side shows and stuff. And so they got him a snake while we were there. And, <laughs> uh, wouldn't you know it, man, uh, about the third town in, fourth town in, uh, the snake gets out of the bag. Shit. <laughs> and they're paying this huge uh, retaining fee, uh, like $800 a night or something, to use this snake, you know, mm-hmm. that, it's, that it's not going to be injured, it's going to be okay and all that. So um, we get to the town, we get there early, they have the buffet, they have the beers, the whole shindig thing. I said it's first class. And I'm working like third match maybe and um i think i did against aj freeman if i'm not mistaken that particular town a new zealand guy so anyway uh they're in the back here hustling around looking for a snake man well liger you know he worked with either d malenko or chris benoit or they might have done a tag team at night i'm not sure what but his match had already taken place because they're trying to hold off for jake he's going to be the main event anyway to try to find a snake well in perfect english in the locker room you heard Oh shit! And it was one Kishi Yamada, especially known as Jushin Thunder Liger, was taking his shower about the time that a snake came up through the drain in the shower in the locker room. Oh fuck that! So uh, yeah, um, and I they captured the snake and put it back in the gimmick bag, and the show must go on as you say. But I thought I'd just kind of throw that story out there because uh, sometimes I, I 
I forget, you know, that I've been to these places, know these guys, and uh, know this behind-the-scenes story. Uh, someone told me when I first book come out, a gentleman from uh, Slam Magazine up in Canada, um, um, might have been Greg Oliver, I could be wrong. But anyway, nonetheless, he said, uh, Bobby, he said, here's a deal, because uh, I was just trying to get an interview with him, get my book uh, plugged. And he said, uh, man, you're like a flower in a water locker room. That, that's great. That's good stuff, you know. And that's that's kind of what I was. And what I did do is, um, it, as you know, if, if my book, I didn't go in there and trash people and say, I saw this person doing drugs or this person cheating. You know, I didn't do all that dirt stuff. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And I said, well, I know shit goes on. Everyone knows shit goes on in wrestling and show business and traveling and, you know, hotels and everything else. So I'm not going to be the spare of that. I'm just going to, you know, have fun with it. Um, but that's, that's just one of the stories I like to share that happened. Um, and then, um, the last day of the tour actually where Jake had gotten there late, um, he didn't go to the hard rock cafe until the last day because they were giving us all a t-shirt. Uh, you had to pay for your meal. You got a percentage off or whatever. So me and my pa partner, uh, who he didn't get there till a day late as well. Um, but I was already there, and I, I, my partner and I, we we went with Jake Roberts and a driver and a um, um, a lady friend um, mm -hmm. that Jake had had tagged along there, and um, we all went down to Hard Rock Cafe and had a big nice meal, and they gave us some hats and T-shirts, and yeah, it was really nice, man. It's a, it a good gimmick, man. So um, got that memory. That's all I saw. Say, so, but. Uh, Jake is a killer heel man, and he deserves to be into this. Uh, he didn't get in there by going to Australia or for his work in Smoky Mountain because I know it was short-lived there. I was under the mask as Kendo the Samurai. As you know, Tim Horner officially was doing that gimmick. He left. I started doing it, and I was Jake Roberts' henchman. And after a couple of shows, Jake Roberts no-showed. <laughs> and then someone else moved into the Kendo uh, gimmick because uh, – I was like, I'm not traveling underneath this mask and can't sell gimmicks, and Jake's not here anyway. And um, uh, the guy they had doing it was local, and he he took over the gimmick until they ran it out because, uh, like I said, uh, for personal problems, like Jake, Jake was um, doing other things at that time. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, good heel. Yep, a great heel, I, I would uh, go as far as to say. Yes. Yeah. All right. So next, we're going to go to another wrestler. Yes, that's the um, format. Yep. And this guy, I tell this guy could have made it in on just being a heel alone, but this guy gets in there for being a great wrestler, and that is going to be Harley Race. Uh, excellent choice, man. Excellent yeah. choice. I don't see how we could do our first, you know, inauguration uh, HOF here without having Harley in there, man. We. Um, we done a big special on him. We passed when he passed away. Well, I guess it's going to like this summer be like two years, maybe. I don't yeah, even know. It's, it's got to be getting I, close, right? Getting close, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. But we we really uh, done him justice in our tribute. I know that. And um, man, Harley, you know, he 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 was the king. He was handsome, Harley Race. He was a king, Harley. He was Harley Race. He was he was a demand. You know, that's the thing. He was the man. Uh, what eight time NWA heavyweight champion? Is that correct? Uh, I eight? believe that's correct. Yeah. Okay. And um, man, traveled the world. The same thing as Thez. He traveled the world with that belt. Uh, wasn't going to be too much. Uh, too many guys trying Harley. No double crossing, you know, um, uh, you know, all the trips to the Japan, you know, big business over there, um, all over the U.S. At one time, you know, uh, just worldwide, I think he went to, uh, uh, he, he did an interview, at, I think it was the 10th anniversary show up at Cleveland All Pro Wrestling way back in 
uh, might have been around 2000, 2001, something like that. He said, uh, he said he had wrestled in a 154 countries, I think, around the world, uh, uh, on God, uh, out on God's green earth. You know, he's always put that in there, but he wrestled. It was some ungodly amount of countries he had wrestled in during his career. And since the age of 15, back in 1959, uh, professional wrestling was pretty much the only job he ever did. You know, um, legitimate, big, tough guy dropped out of high school, thinking his first year, second year had that bad auto uh, wreck. Uh, didn't think he was going to walk again. I think you told me he was, uh, basically dead in the ambulance and come to, um, I can't recall that yeah, exactly I think, how that worked. I, 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 and then it was going to amputate and they didn't. Um, so he had yeah, a lot early on. Yeah. The promoter stopped him from amputating yeah, his legs. Yeah. yeah. But I think they said he was DOA in the ambulance and they like, no, he's not. He's, he's <laughs> get him to the hospital. And then I know years later he had a boat wreck. Um, and Harley like Harley said it on a lot of interviews. You know, he said, uh, the things he liked doing, he liked driving, he loved driving uh, and driving fast. And everyone I talked to uh, that, that drove with him, I know guys that rode with him in, in uh, uh, Puerto Rico, for example, some guys I knew from Canada and Mexico told me, oh, man, don't get in a ride with Harley ever. But uh, the things he liked doing, he said, I like driving cars fast, uh, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, and I can do all three when I'm behind the wheel. <laughs> Something like that, you know. Yeah. And uh, he's also known for that tendon and ligament strength. He had that ungodly uh, you know, didn't really like work out with the weights per se. He worked out in the ring. He was in ring shape, but he had those uh, like double tendon strength, kind of like that Danny Hodge strength, they said, you know. And um, I guess he was like one of those guys you just couldn't beat in arm wrestling. He could be sitting there talking to someone, just putting her arm down, uh, not paying attention to his opponent is, and he could be smoking a cigarette or drinking a beer and still beat him in arm wrestling over there trying her ass off, you know. Uh, just one of those legitimate tough guys, man, that, that – uh, people knew not to mess with, um, or if they did, they found out very shortly, uh, after, uh, wish I hadn't, you know? Yeah. Well, so. one of the, well, first off, you know, he's so tough that his actual name was Harley race. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause his dad got hot at him. Cause he tried to use another name or something the first time. <laughs> yeah. or something. Goes, uh, if you ever want to be someone, use your own name or something like, like an old gruff dad telling you, you know, you, you ain't going to get anywhere if that <laughs> be yeah. yourself, you know, I'm like, but yes, sure. sir. <laughs> I don't know how it went, but you know, yeah. yeah well, you know, his real name. Yeah. I mean, Harley race is one of those things. You know, I had a, I had a great uncle who was a pig hunter and his name was Chet Youngblood. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's that kind of fucking, you know, Jesus yeah. Christ, you gotta be a man to carry that name off. Harley yeah. race is that kind of name, you know? Absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the best summations of him as a wrestler I'd ever heard was somebody said he could drive for eight hours, wrestle for an hour, two hours, stay up all night, drink a 20 pack of beer and smoke three packs of cigarettes, wake <laughs> up at four in the morning and be ready to go. I can, I can believe that. Yeah. I can believe that. Um, uh, my first time, um, seeing Harley race, I think was, uh, when I was about 17, uh, they came up to the Huntington uh, Memorial field house. And, um, uh, that was the one where he wrestled Brody and Brody was throwing him tables everywhere, uh, on the way out. And of course they did the old, you know, boom, 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 DQ thing. But yep. at the end of the show, man, uh, you know, I hung around me and three or four guys that I went up there with, you know, just high school, uh, a couple guys a little bit older than myself too. And, uh, man, you know, they're, 
people are trying to just hang out basically. We're all fans, so there's just a handful of us there. But but there's Harley when they open the door, he's just sitting in there in the locker room in his underwear, drinking a beer, smoking a cigarette, fresh out of the shower, you know. Mm-hmm. And um but he had busted his ass with uh with uh, uh Brody that night, you know, for whatever ten or twelve minutes they had to get in and um just thought that was pretty cool. I got to meet him twice, once up in Cleveland, spoke to him, just, you know, told him who I was and I was a fan and uh, briefly talked to him after the show there. There was they was having some beers after the show. Just everyone kind of walked by and you know spoke to him. Then they had him up at ASW a couple years back. I don't know how long it's been, three or four. And um, he was uh, that's when his health was very declining. But I at least went up to several. Um, uh, went up and spoke to him. You know, and uh, I didn't get my picture with him. Um, I was speaking to him, but it was just him and I sitting there at that particular time. And I kind of wish I'd have got my picture taken, but then again, I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't, you know, cause he was, he was, he was already in pretty bad shape to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but we did get to speak and, um, I was just telling what an honor it was to meet him. And I told him I'd met him in Cleveland. I don't think he, he, he knew I met him as a fan or one of the boys. It didn't matter. You know, I was just kind of marked out a little bit, but, but again, it was a professional courtesy thing, you know? Oh yeah. So, um, well, and how do you not anyway. mark out over meeting Harley race? You oh, know? absolutely. man. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd be more mad if I hadn't went over and spoke to him, you know, yeah. out, out of professional courtesy. Exactly. So, uh, and, and there was a match going on in the ring. So it wasn't like I was over there to take pictures or anything like that. I went over to genuinely, you know, speak to him and say hello to him. Yeah. So, anyway, Looks like our next one is going to be best baby face. And I will introduce that one since I'm such a baby face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're such a heel, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, yeah, this one here. We had two people written down. Actually, we started off one, and I said, well, how about this one? He'll eventually get there, I'm sure. But you know who we chose, and we don't talk about this guy nearly enough on this program, and that is Ricky Steamboat, man. He's going to be our baby face uh, for, our inter- not <laughs> for our official... <laughs> The Bell to Bell 100% legit and official Hall of Fame. Our number one babyface going in this year, Ricky Steamboat. Yeah, we do not nearly often enough speak about this guy. Um, you know, his match with Macho Man, I think, has been described as the first modern pro wrestling match. Mm, okay. You know, he had a great feud with Jake the Snake. Uh, but, you know, he had a whole career before he got to the WWF. Right. Um, you know, he was a great, just great all around guy. He was that kind of, you know, he's that, um, he's a good looking guy. So the chicks dug him and he was a badass in the ring. So the guys wanted to be just like him, just all around good guy, pro wrestler. Yeah. Had that great physique, um, tremendous wrestler in the ring mm-hmm. and could talk, you know? Yeah. And, uh, of course he got the, uh, dragon gimmick up there in New York and, uh, Still a baby face. You mm-hmm. know, I don't think that he ever um, worked anywhere as a heel. Um, he had a, a tremendous tag team with uh, uh, Jay Youngblood. They they had a run with the titles, um, yep. NWA titles. Um, of course, like I said, he had the, uh, in late 80s there, he had a, a big feud with um, Flair. They did um, the best of three matches. I did all three matches. I don't know if it's the best of. How was that? That was just going to be three Three times around or whatever it was, did Nashville. Chicago I, I think it was. I think it was best of three, but yeah. re- regardless of which, probably three of the best pro wrestling matches that had been put right. on for fifteen years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, where's the other one? So Chicago and Nashville, I know that's where two of them were at. I'm not sure where the other one's at. I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden. But he was always that baby-faced man and uh, get the sympathy of the people behind him. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when it's time for that comeback, he fired up, uh, had a lot of fire, and um, could just about do anything in a ring, man. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. when it come down to it, he, he wrestled, wrestled. Then he broad, broadly had to, and then fought back and with that. And then he ended up with wrestling, you know, but with a pin or, or whatever the finish was, you know. And the fans always seemed to be behind him. Um, <clears throat> I don't think anyone – I know there's hardcore – uh, people that like to cheer for, cheer for the heels at the shows, and that's perfectly fine. Um, I used to myself. I know Jeremy did this and that, but I don't think too many people actually uh, cheered against Ricky Steamboat, even if he was wrestling our favorite heel. They knew they would get to watch a quality wrestling match, if that makes sense. That's the way I see it. I don't think they sit there. It might boot them underneath their breath going, man, he's handing Flair's ass tonight or whoever it is, the macho man or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's um, They knew he was the man to – they deep down probably wanted to cheer for as a baby face, but they didn't because they like, they like teal a little bit more. You know, you don't get that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, first class. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about like him, like uh, the sympathy of the fans kind of thing, which is – I think it's something that's ignored a lot now. You know, Ricky Morton still does it, but you know, Ricky Morton's yeah. a little bit, a little bit older, a little bit older now. You know, a little. But uh, you know, you think about that time Ricky Steamboat took the the bell ring to the throat. Uh, the time Jake DDT'd him on the concrete. Mm, concrete I mean, just yes. yeah, so many just like these moments that you watch and you were like horrified seeing. Like, oh my god, I can't believe they did that. And yeah, just great stuff. And then of course his in ring ability was just outstanding. Yeah, deservedly so to be in our first class here. Yeah. Uh, let's switch gears. We're getting ready to go back to a wrestler again as the format of the show unfolds before your very eyes on a bell-to-bell, 100% legit and official Hall of Fame. The f- initial class here, we're going to go to another wrestler. And um, who might that wrestler be? Well, this one is going to be the incredible Hulk Hogan. Oh, yes, the immortal, the incredible, the yeah. invincible. Hawk Hogan, Thunder Lips. <laughs> That's it, the ultimate male. Yeah, there you go. You know, I know it's... I guess the ultimate meatball. <laughs> oh, such a great line, yeah. You know, I know that people like to clown on Hogan now, but let's let's not forget this was the biggest star pro wrestling had ever made. Yeah. This, this was the guy who mainstreamed pro wrestling again. Uh, yeah, his acting career sucked, but we don't need to get into that. And then, you know, like some people, oh, he didn't even wrestle... That's right, because he was told not to. Go watch his matches against Inoki, and he yeah. wrestles. Yeah. Um, he did know how to wrestle. Again, biggest star to ever come out of pro wrestling. And they, oh, what about The Rock? Okay, well, The Rock's a bigger star for being an actor than he is a pro wrestler. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was trained by Hiro Matsuda, big mm-hmm. Tampa boy there. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, and um, so he could wrestle uh, early on in his career. In fact, he did actually wrestle quite a bit but once you know he got up to new york uh, and he had been there as a heel before he wrestled yep. andre um, a couple other people um as a heel and like 80 80 81 maybe but um when he went there as hulk hogan and the baby face um he was over so the less he done the better it was because the heel could do what they needed to do and hogan just knew he needed to, to rip off the t-shirt shirt drop the leg and get the fans behind him by putting his hand up to his ear. Yep. He knew how to get over. He had the body. He had the skill. 
Um, he used the skill that he needed in his match. It wasn't your technical uh, four or five star matches, but he did his match and then he knew the finish, you know, and he knew how to talk once that finish came off. Yeah. So, um, and that's not even going into uh, when he eventually came back years later as a heel as Hollywood Hogan. So, so you know, um, once again, uh, Jump ships that you never would have thought would have happened. Trade traded colors that you never would have thought of happened from the uh, yellow and red to the uh, the black and white. You know, um, NWA deal or NWO deal rather. Excuse me. So yeah, um, once again, um, I think our fans and I hope they are pleasantly surprised that we put Hulk Hogan in as a wrestler into our um, uh, first class. So I hope they liked it. Yeah, um, you know, I think, you know, if you want to talk about his level of charisma, you look at how much he was cheered as Hulk Hogan and how much he was booed as Hollywood Hogan, and you get mm-hmm. a sense of, of his ability just to work the mic and work the crowd and work the fans. Yeah. You know, I, okay, you know, it's just, you know, look, look, I clown on the guy as much as anybody else, but the fact of the matter is the Hulk Hogan is, should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. There you go. And he is. Yeah. He's an ours. Yep. And this is the only one that counts, by God. Uh, well, this is the 100% <laughs> legit and official Hall of Fame. That's right. Yeah. All right. So the next category is going to be teams. I'm going to let the professor kind of uh, preface this one. If, if, you, if you would, Professor, how we uh, uh, arrived at this, because we don't want anyone to say, oh, there's more names than 10 on here. And that's why here's, here's why the good professor is going to enlighten you fine folks out there in Podcastville. Yeah. So um, this was a little tri- trickier once. We're trying to keep it to 10 names. <clears throat> but, you know, we were going to do teams. And there's no way you can handle some teams without having multiple members. So right. you, everybody in the team, or in, in one case with a particular version of a team, makes it in. Yeah. Um, Bobby, why don't you board do- approved and certified. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> right. Why don't you go ahead and do our first entry, because we have two yeah. team entrants here. Okay. I think it's no surprise to anyone in our listening audience, the greatest tag team of all times, the Midnight Express with their manager, Jim Cornette. The version we are putting in are Stan, Bob, and Dennis, Stan, Bobby, and Dennis, rather, mm-hmm. uh, and Cornette, Jimmy Cornette as their manager. That's going to be considered one unit, man. And uh, as we mentioned here just a couple weeks ago, and we did it a couple years ago, they were voted upon by our fans as the greatest and number one tag team of all time. And that, that was by our audience. Uh, and we had quite a quite a list listing of audience listeners back at that time um, because we had a, a the active YouTube page at that time as well. And Tex had put a nice package together on the uh, uh, Midnight Express. Um, also that episode, when we announced that the uh, Midnight Express, I'm just kind of let you folks know where we're going with this uh, uh, or we're not going to go today with this is the Midnight Express. When we did that greatest tag team ball team, time uh that's when we came up with the free bird rule we overruled them and and made the free birds the greatest of all time um something like that but anyway there's no free bird rule today this is who you're nope. getting uh but i have to say you know uh great manager um jim Cornette. i think he's one of the greatest of all time um bobby eaton is one of the best workers in the world at one time uh, and he, Dennis was just, uh, such a tag team specialist, uh, as was Stan and, uh, they all just work so well together. They're so smooth. The timing, um, 
the, the, the no one Stan could talk. Bobby didn't talk much. Dennis not too much, but they didn't have to. Cornette was the mouthpiece. And exactly. he, he talked them in. He talked them in, man. And he talked those the guys up. And he knew how to do that. And also, that's in a time period of when pro wrestling had that heel manager that was there to protect the interest of his uh boys his tag team you know and he was there when he had to pull the ropes down or swap someone with the tennis racket or um fight their way back excuse me but fight their way back to the locker room or what have you and uh, they had uh to their advantage they had great teams like the rock and roll express the fantastics um um that they could wrestle against you know and with um, and I'm sure I'm leaving out someone they wrestle. I think Arn and Tully. Yeah. And I don't think that program went too far, but still, you got those kind of guys you can wrestle with. Um, it's it, it, it's uh, not too hard. It's not rocket science. Just get out there and work your ass off. Listen to those crowds. Take them up. Take them down. And go home. Yeah. You know. So hey, well hey. deserved. Um, the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. They were part of a great tag team division. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, just they were a great tag team. They worked, whether whichever version we're talking about, Bobby right. and Stan or Bobby and Dennis, uh, they just worked together so well, so flawlessly with Cornette on the outside doing his bit. Um, you know, Bobby, I, I always appreciated when Mama Cornette sent him a cake as a congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I always, always thought that was uh, very nice of her to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Midnight Express, they go way up there. They, but. Yeah. You know, also they got to exist during a time where there was a great tag team division to work against. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good time period. Yeah. Uh, TV wise, uh, fan wise, magazine wise, you know, cafe uh, wise, mm-hmm. you know. Um, now, I know you're going to bring up another tag team, and I'm pleased that we came up with this. And our board of directors kind of led us through this and said, hey, you got our approval, man. Do what you want to do. Exactly. Uh, knock on wood there. But anyway, um, so we got this other team in here that Jeremy brought up, and we was kind of trading horses at the beginning. We had about 15 names, and, and uh, the way we do our programming, it went rather quickly and painlessly today. We were like, okay, this is how you work it in there. Get the board to approve it, man. And um, got two guys that I think are so well deserved of this, and I think a lot of our older audience will recall and remember it, I think are hardcore fans that, that might be younger that go back and look at their research and their history and watch older stuff um, will be pleasantly surprised. Who are you going to announce as the other tag team that's going to be in our first initial bell-to-bell, uh, bell, 100% legit and official Hall of Fame class? Well, in this case, I'm going to go with San Francisco's own the Blonde Bombers, Pat Patterson, and Ray Stevens. Man, them two men deserve to be in any and every Hall of Fame out there, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100%, man. Uh, Patterson, you know, legendary career, of course, uh, inside the ring and then eventually outside the ring and all the tremendous stuff he done with, um, fuck, I wish I wouldn't say tremendous so much. That's bugging me. Um, stuck in my head today for some reason. But anyway. Tremendous. Outburst. Sorry about that. Um, behind the scenes stuff with WWF and E through all the years. And then Ray Stevens, man, he was just one of them guys that he just bump his ass off and work his ass off. Uh, they just talk about what an incredible wrestler he was, uh, you know, in the ring, man, to be in that ring with. And um, I've watched some old footage of him. And he was the first, if I'm not mistaken, to do the upside down thing in the corner. Um, Flair, heartbreak kid or what have you. Yeah. Uh, others to come after him. But, uh, Stevens take that bump. He took the bump, the Bobby Heenan bump, where he would go completely out of ring with uh, yep. 
really not touching the top rope at all. Just bounce uh, right out. Yeah. yeah. And um, had that build, maybe 5'9-ish, you know, 240, 250, solid-looking dude. Uh, but not not like big, bulky, over-bodybuilding, not like a tub of lard either, just a, a hard-looking hard guy, you yeah. know. Just look like, look like, yeah, you look like a 40 year old tough guy. You know, yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah, yeah just look like a yeah. badass who'd whip your ass. Um, I believe he got the nickname Crippler by accidentally breaking somebody's leg in the ring one time. Oh, okay. I yeah. think I'm going to have to go back and double check that, but I remember something in my head is like sticking that story out there. Um, you know, these guys were huge, huge, huge stars here, you know, in the San yeah. Francisco territory. Uh, but they worked together. They worked all over the United States at the very least, uh, yeah. briefly. Um, I know for a bit in the AWA, I know they were yes. up in New York together for a short period of time. Yeah. Um, like real short, but, um, you know, that was, uh, you know, my dad, this was like, these were his guys. You I was going to ask you, wasn't Pat Patterson one of his favorite guys? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, when uh, when my dad died, my brother asked me, hey, did anybody ever tell dad that Pat Patterson was gay? And I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah no. I thought that's what you told me before. Yeah. But also, my dad, one of his dice stories was playing dice with uh, with uh, Ray Stevens, you know. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was like his go-to story. That was uh, like one of the most famous guys he had met. Now, my dad yeah. had met the entire cast of Dallas he had met the Lone Ranger, the original Clayton Moore Lone Ranger. I mean, all these people, but his story was always Ray Stevens, you know. There you go, man. That yeah. shows how old a professional wrestler were, man. Yeah. Uh, that's good stuff. And I know he was making killer money out there when yeah, he was in San Francisco area. They was just up and down the coast there, just killing it from what I heard. Oh, yeah. Money-wise. Yeah, they were so. huge. You know, and here, I'd have to go back and, like, actually look. But, you know, a lot of times when you worked San Francisco, you do L.A., Portland, and so you had this whole circuit up and down here as well, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know Rock Rims, uh, not that he needs our publicity, no. but he, he has some really good books out there about uh, uh, San Francisco wrestling and Northern California wrestling. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I've Los got Angeles. One, one, uh, Ron Starr. I know he's coming out with another one um, soon. I'm drawing a blank on one more he's re- already got out. But anyway, check out some of his stuff, man. He's on uh, he's on Twitter at Rock Rims. Just look him up. Uh, some uh, definitely really good worth, books. Yeah, when he when he tells you that a book is getting ready to go print, buy it right then. Yeah, because it's not going to be around very long, and he. He takes he a does long limited editions, time. I yeah. think too. He, I think he prints them himself out of the back of a car. And I think he goes out and ships them himself. And that's not a dig. I'm just saying. No, he's I, got it down. Yeah, he sells a shitload of books, but he says I'm putting 500 of them out there or a thousand, whatever it is, and that's what he puts out there. Yep. And if you're lucky enough to get one, you're lucky enough to get well, one. And he uh, just announced well written. Yeah, he just announced this week that he's doing a Ray Stevens biography. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll see that. Yeah, that's. I was like, the minute this pre-sells, you have to tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I knew he had a couple. When I bought a book from him um, prior to Christmas, and um, he just sent some personal information about uh, some information. He might be looking for someone. Um, I'm not sure if he's announced it, but it's, it's someone from the West Coast. He's going to do another, a book one, too. I haven't seen it announced yet on that, so okay. uh, be looking for that in the in the near future from him, I'm sure he's pretty active. I kind of got off base there, but uh, that's where he'd go to, to get some information though, about the blonde bombers, yeah. uh, Patterson and Stevens. And there's footage out there of them guys on uh, YouTube. Check it out. Sometime, oh yeah. Man. You know, there's, there's full episodes. Like we, we have found about with Florida and all these other places. Yeah. There are full episodes of uh big time wrestling, San Francisco available on yeah. YouTube. 
Yeah, I watched a few of those you sent me. Yeah. So, Piper was um, now, Piper was great on there, wasn't he? Did Piper see? was the one that was great. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one you sent me. That was really good. Um, I was going to say, Mike, right now might be the time to mention which I mentioned YouTube and what he's talking about. We still have a YouTube channel out there, guys. It's um, uh, shit. It's tinyurl.com slash video BBBB. That's the one text put out. Um, we're still getting a lot of hits. I think, uh, I think the Paul Orndorff one has like 250,000 hits still, uh, something like that. I mean, it's a lot. Um, there was about 1.6 million views. Uh, I haven't checked it lately. That's been six months ago, maybe. So I'm sure it's more than that now. But there's a lot of quality videos that Tex put together yeah. for us on the Bell to Bell. And basically, it's Jeremy and myself doing the podcast like we are. And Tex went behind the scenes and added a lot of uh, uh, video footage with it. And it's just us summing up everything and, and talking about our top tens. Um, there's also a really good one uh, with Jeremy going off on a rant uh, why the WWE hates wrestling that's one of my favorites to listen to sometimes but um, there's some fun stuff there's the Bobby Blaze just a swinger went on there that's hilarious <laughs> uh, from the local news where they found a local swingers house here in the uh, greater Ashland, Kentucky area. And uh, they asked my opinion on it at a pretty liberal um, area of town surrounded by schools, uh, churches, and I was at a grocery store parking lot. And uh, they asked my opinion. I said, hell, give them my number. I'm single. And Jeremy has to smart me up. He said, Bobby, if you want to get invited to the swingers house, um, you know, you got to have a partner. And I was like, well, you know, I was kind of wanting to just get invited. I did see... Um, I know a couple people do go there. I've not been invited. Um, I might just have my own swinging pad happening anyway, so I don't really care. Yeah. Um, but no, I saw a young lady um, not too long ago in passing, and I always acknowledge her. She's a very nice lady. And um, if I didn't know certain people and she didn't know certain people, I wouldn't know certain things. But you know what? I never mention her name. I never mention anything to her when I see her. I treat her very kindly, as she does me. It's a professional courtesy. <laughs> <laughs> but I know. Oh, and she knows, and I'm good with it. I just wish you'd give me an invite. Well, there you go. Because I'd go to Chow Town, downtown. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tex oh. doesn't want to swing, and that's pretty funny. Uh, back to the show here. I think you need to announce the next wrestler. Uh, so we went through uh, wrestler Luthez. The heel for the first class was Jake Roberts. The wrestler, number two, was Harley Race. Best baby face for our Harbor Fame for this time, we picked Ricky Steamboat. The third wrestler was Hawk Hogan. We just did our tag teams, the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette and the Blonde Bombers, Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens. And now we're back to our next wrestler. All I'm right. The professor introduce him. Well, the next wrestler is a guy I would make an argument for being the greatest world champion of all time. And that's going to be Nick Bockwinkle. Yep. And we did that early on, like maybe third podcast. We we had a little thing going back and forth, man. And I was just like, oh, man, I'm going to say this other guy. And you're like, no, nah, here's my reasoning for Bockwinkle. And a more, but in the show, hell, you had to be convinced, you know, um, fuck you, great world world um, champion, man. Yeah. Um, carried the AWA strap for all that time. But, man, dude, unlike I'm being right now, so eloquent when he spoke, uh, always in great shape. 
even when he got older, hell, he was out there and looked, I'm not, he looked great. Fuck. Um, and uh, he could work his ass off. Psychology, uh, the, the way he drew you in, uh, mm-hmm. the way he drew heat. Um, I saw him with Lawler several times. I'm trying to think who else I saw. Oh, I saw those two matches you mentioned with uh, uh, Mr. Perfect, you know. So yeah. uh, anytime you saw Nick Bockwinkle, man, you would see a, a true world champion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he could hold his own as a wrestler. You know, of course, his dad was mm-hmm. a pro wrestler, like one of the original mm-hmm. pro wrestlers. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, he could hold his own against an actual wrestling talent like Vern Gagne, who is like, I mean, a lot of people, younger people are going to have no idea. Vern Gagne could out wrestle just about anybody. I mean, just. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. an Olympic athlete. Yeah, just smash him. And Nick Bockwinkel could put on a hell of a show with him. Him and Ray Stevens as the tag team champions were an outstanding team. Um, and yeah. they could all oh, fuck you were so mad by the time they got done, either in the ring or on the microphone. You were ready to fucking just, I'm going to get in that TV screen. I'm going to choke the living <laughs> shit out of the two of you. Uh, Bockwinkle was a champion's champion. He traveled where he had to travel. He put on a great show every time. He never wrestled the same match twice. Nope. Um, you Uh, know, tremendous interviews. I said that word. I said I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, unlike me, he had a very uh, strong vocabulary. He was UCLA graduate, um, which I was impressed with that. And he was always reading, they said, you know, a dictionary, a thesaurus, uh, looking up different words. I heard that about him and John Studd. They were big into that. Um, but, of course, obviously it came through in Nick Bockwinkel's interviews and promos. He used words that you'd sit there and say, is he insulting me mm-hmm. or us as the audience? Or is he, what is he doing? Is he putting us over? Is he putting his face? You know, he has dumbfounded you sometime, uh, to, but it it draw you. It draw you. And you're like, let's see what he really, what's he saying? And you listen to his words. He didn't do a lot of yelling. He no. just talked. You know, that's one of the things about his interview. He talked. Um, and I like that, man. Yeah. Um, he, Nick Bockwinkle, like, he let everybody else yell. He spoke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the old Malenko said. You know, he said when you go to, to territory to work, you know, if everyone else is yelling, you talk. If they're talking, you yell. You know, and that's Bockwinkle. He let all them guys yell all they wanted. But, but Bockwinkel just spoke, whether he's working as a babyface or the heel or had a manager. He just knew, this is what I'm saying. I'm going to say my piece with it because when I get in the ring, I'm going to show you. And he always did. I don't think I ever saw one of his matches that you thought was half-ass bad, you know, yeah, by any uh, means. I'm sure somebody could find one, but I bet you they'd have to work <laughs> their ass off to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I guarantee it. So Nick Bockwinkel. Uh, the fourth wrestler into our bell-to-bell 100% legit and official Hall of Fame, man. And we're about down to the finish of our list here. Um, I was just about to tell you to do the manager, but you just did Bockwinkle, so I guess I'll do our first manager inductee. Um, I know I will get no argument with you over this, that he is the greatest wrestling manager of all time. Uh, yeah, I said it. If you got JJ and Cornette and Jimmy Hart all saying this man was the greatest wrestling manager of all time, Jeremy telling me this, um, I have to buy it. Um, and I have to agree with it. It is none other than Bobby, the brain Heenan. What a great manager. Uh, outstanding. Um, <laughs> I, I think the thing that, that sums him up best that, that he always said was you wrestle like a manager and manage like a wrestler. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, he was a great performer. He was great on a microphone. Like we said earlier, we kind of hinted around. He could bump like a son of a bitch when he had to. Yeah. 
Um, you know, he wasn't afraid to take an ass kicking to make somebody else look good. I would say Bobby Heenan is one of the reasons Hulk Hogan solidified as, as big a star as he became, um, was he, you know, going against the Heenan guys. But I mean, Heenan was great. I watched some of his interviews with Kurt Hanning the other day. Those were fantastic. Of course, he managed the original Heenan family, which is Bobby Duncan Sr., uh, Nick Bockwinkle, Ray Stevens, I believe. We we keep having trouble. Pat Patterson may or may not have been in there. I want to say that I've yeah yeah, I want to say that I've seen that he was, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, and we've done a special not too far back where we mentioned uh, we did a whole special on um, Bobby Heenan. So you can go back there into the archives and look that up. Uh, cause we did about an hour on him, I guess. Uh, yeah. With some of the different uh, things we really liked, like 10 different things we really liked about Bobby Heenan uh, as a manager and stuff. And man, he could, when he was on that color commentator with Jesse Ventura or whoever he was out there, Gorilla Monsoon, of course, was yeah. him too was the, you know, that's the, that's the click right there. You know, uh, uh, just them two, the way they fed off each other, you know, you know, gorilla, you know, Oh, would you stop it? You know, and Bobby just throwing out those insults and, um, man. Um, yeah. And I saw that uh, interview just the other day too, as after our podcast, uh, he was in the locker room, uh, with, um, uh, Kurt Henning and, um, they were just cutting a promo from, from, um, uh, Beverly Hills, California, uh, there's going to be arrested in LA and, um, they just both, they nailed it, you know, like oh, a two yeah. minute interview and they just nailed it. It was just like, come on champ, you know, Mr. Perfect or what? It, it was good stuff, man. He was, it was a, it was a match for the intercontinental championship belts, what it was. And it was good. You know, I don't know if I saw bad, you know, but it was, it was a good one. I was like, damn, that's, that's good. Oh yeah. So, those guys together were great. Um, you know, and I know you and I ran into a little problem <laughs> with this question one time, but, the, for my money, Bobby Heenan's the greatest manager of all time. Uh, maybe one of the top three microphone guys, period. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, just such a quick wit, so insulting. Just, you know, I, I always wonder if he learned it from Bockwinkle or if Bockwinkle learned it from him. Yeah, I don't know. I'd probably rub, man. Prior rub there somewhere. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Heenan just... Uh, He's just incredible, man. He's just incredible. Uh, get just just that quick wit, the way he get people and stuff, you know. But um, I heard I, I've I've seen him outside the ring when I was in WCW. Uh, you know, I've had a, had a drink with him, get to a production meeting earlier, or what have you, and here's a couple people sitting around a bar, just a couple gentlemen like having a drink, man, waiting to. Uh, our flight got here early, you know, another mm-hmm. two hour free. When else gets here, and you just happen to be with that person that's, that's just as luck would draw, you know, do it. I never went out to dinner with him and stuff, but I heard he was very kind. Um, you know, I see a bum on a sidewalk, you know, he always heard the jokes about bums and this and that. And they said, man, if a guy asked for a cigarette, he'd, he'd give him the whole damn pack. So I'll get more later, you know, give him a slip a guy 20 sometimes, you know, just, just stuff like that. Uh, the, uh, the funniest thing is, is when I wrestled, when I wrestled Roddy Piper, uh, you know, uh, there's Bobby Heenan. He said, you know, he says, they say, Bobby Smedley, and he goes, how would you like to go through life that moniker, uh, Gorilla? <laughs> and, then, of course, so he put my name down, my real name, pretty much put it down, but also it was an honor that uh, during the match he said, oh, this Hammonager's done. You know, so I got caught at Hammonager by Bobby well, Heenan, too. There you so go, yeah. Got that going for you. Uh, and I got to speak to him. Uh, oh, man, I spoke to him in Tampa um, via the phone. 
And then, and that was as early on he first got diagnosed. And then not too far before he passed away, he was on another talk show and I called in and I, I got through, I knew the guy. It was, it was a, it was in New York. The guy's name's Lionel, but he had been a Tampa guy and I knew him and he had went international, he had went national rather. And, uh, Bobby Heenan, uh, had lived in Tampa at one point and, uh, he was on the show talking about, you know, trying to recover and, and how he'd been sick. And, you know, obviously he was full pick at this time and they put me through to him and I got to spend about three or four minutes talking to Bobby on the phone there. And that was a really good pleasure uh, to have that. Cause you remember me and we joked and ribbed. And of course they both buried me and I loved it because Lionel, when I get to go on WFLA and uh, you'd ask my brother, Jim, a uh, couple of times I did get through, man, he'd bury me. You know, he said, Bobby, <laughs> you know, uh, said he had, he had been to Paducah, Kentucky, which is the other side of the state, but he was, uh, he was caught up there to be the Duke of Paducah one time. And I said, man, I'm way over the east, Eastern time. And he had ribbed me. He said, Bobby, you know, um, if you never make it, um, in the world of professional wrestling, uh, you probably won't make it as a comedian either. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, he just, he just ribbed me and, um, it's just funny stuff, man, you know. But uh, it was on his show, Lionel's show, like I said, that I got to speak to Bobby Heenan for the last time. And that's that's a good memory to have, too, man, other than get caught a ham and egger. So, yeah, that's all right, cool. man. We're running out of time, but we got one more wrestler. I'm going to give us the rundown one more time in case you're tuning in late. This is the Bell to Bell 100%. Legit and official Hall of Fame. And we started with a wrestler, Luthez. The first heel was Jake Roberts. The second wrestler was Harley Race. The best baby face so far has been Ricky Steamboat. Third wrestler was Hawk Hogan. Tag teams with the Midnight Express along with Jim Cornette. The Blonde Bombers, Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens. Wrestler, Nick Bockwinkle. And as you just heard, we put over our first manager into this 100% legit Um Hall of Fame, and that was Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Jeremy the Professor Vilmer is going to announce our fifth and final wrestler for our 10 inductees for this year's, and we're going to probably do this uh, bi-yearly, not, you know, we'll probably visit this again in like three to six months, I imagine, uh, but I hope you like our first category, uh, the first official class of our Hall of Fame, who's the next wrestler to be inducted? Well, last but not least, and probably most importantly, and all of that would be the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Woo! Light yeah. him up, Jeremy. Yeah. That's it, brother. Yeah. The um, guy could wrestle. The guy could talk. The guy could do it all. Uh, had Nate, to look, the style of the profile yeah. of the body. I was, <laughs> the talking to, I was talking to Nate yesterday, and I asked him, who would you put in there? He's like, Ric Flair. And I said, above everybody else? He's like, yeah. He goes, he had the best of the old school wrestling and the new stuff that was happening at that time. He could talk. He could wrestle. He could do everything. And absolutely. you know what? He was absolutely right. Yeah, I agree. And we just done a special on him. We done the Carolinas there. We done um, JJ Dillon. We done the Carolinas or uh, uh, JCP. And um, then we done Ric Flair for that territory. That's not too many episodes back. If you want to go back there and catch that, you can do so in the archives. Wherever you listen to this fine podcast, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, we're everywhere, man. We're on iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so, anyway, I love this. Um, Professor, I think we uh, done our research. I think we um, done our fans right. 
once again, um, you can hit me up at Twitter at BobbyBlaze744, and I hope you do. Um, you can hit Jeremy, the Professor Vilmer, up at the Geekish Cast. You can hit our joint account up at um, Bell to Bell Blaze, and that's on Twitter. And there's also one over there on Facebook as well. And I'm going to let the Professor, if he'd be so kind, if you would like to finish things up um, and maybe announce what we're going to be doing next week. I'm not sure how. I think you wanted to say something about that, but I wasn't sure. Um, our program. Well, let's see. Next week, because we, actually- we were going to do it this week, and it didn't happen. So just so you know, it was supposed to be today, but it's next week. So if you tuned in for another reason, I think we made that announcement last week. Yeah, you know, okay. I can't remember if I had it scheduled and then I had to change it yeah. or if I just had the date wrong. But um, The date was wrong, but we got it right now. Yeah, so uh, next week, Brennan, oh, good God, you know what? I, I just I just blanked on the man's last name. Uh, Brennan uh, Martin, right? Yeah, Brennan Martin. <laughs> So, so wait, is that uh, good God, the author I, of Teeny? Yeah. Uh, double check that real quick, Professor. Yes, uh, there I, it is. Okay. Teeny. I met him down at WrestleCade uh, about three or four years ago. Very nice gentleman. He is the grandson of Christine uh, Jarrett, also known as Teeny, and he's got a fine book that the Professor and I both have downloaded, have been reading, and so far it's been very, very good. Uh, I'm just on the third chapter, but I will finish it because when I, I spoke to him via text, uh, the professor had already spoke to him, and I joined in on a conversation saying, hey, hey, Brennan, I just um, just want to let you know I'm looking forward to talking to you on the 25th, and this is Bobby, so he didn't know who that email came from. But uh, good dude. I think we'll have fun with him. I yeah, hope so. should uh, be. Well, you know, of, it's, uh, some of the, you know what's kind of funny about this, Bobby, is I invited him on – before we took that six month break, mm, like okay. a while, like a while before, and he so when I get okay. the email from him last week or whenever it was, he's like, "Oh, sorry, it took me so long." And I'm thinking, it's like <laughs> it's like eighteen months, dude. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, well, we'll we'll have some fun with, and we'll do our regular introductions and stuff. Then we'll do an interview with him, and then we'll we'll both close out. You know, uh, you and I talking kind of what we'll do on this show, kind of like what we've done with Ron Welch there. Yeah. We had him on and what a pleasure it was, you know, but we got to talk some ourselves. Then we had him on, then we finished up. So, uh, so good stuff is in the future. Um, I know again, we'll probably revisit a hall of fame. It, uh, we'll eventually do another one, another class. Um, and, um, I think we've got another author lined up down the line. Um, and also possibility of another podcaster coming on. I'm not quite sure uh, who that's going to be yet. I've, we've kicked around some names, but we haven't really decided to, to invite anyone else on yet. But we have talked about it. So. Yep. Well, look, there's um, there's a lot of great authors out there that we I'm sure could talk to. Uh, you know, I lost track of the guy. Somebody was working on a movie with Rob Van Dam and another wrestler named Effie, who I guess is like pretty big on the indie scene on the East Coast. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there we could catch up with, a lot of creative people in the wrestling business and wrestling yeah. adjacent business. Um, Bobby, I'm a I'm a little concerned right now though. What's that? What's going on? What's uh, well, I've I've been reading Stephen King's Christine. Okay. Well, I think I got the wrong book. Oh, because you're supposed to be reading Teeny. Yeah. Teeny is the title of the book by Brendan Martin. And you're oh. reading the Stephen King Christine. Yeah. You're in for a world of difference. Uh, Christine 16 there, that crazy ass car is going to be a little bit different than about the fabulous ones coming in and making a whorehouse out of the <laughs> Tennessee territory. It's two different readings, Professor. Okay. Well. I just give the fans a clue there. We are going to get teeny 
the Christine Jarrett story, not Christine, the car by Stephen King. You, oh man, you sicko, that guy. Wow. Oh, You're well, going to give me nightmares just talking about it. You know what? I think, uh, I think we better just go because I apparently have a lot of reading to catch up on. Absolutely. I do too, my friend. Yeah. All right, everybody. For the late Tex Johnson, myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>